So, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we really are in a very unique place as a church. Um, we've been really blessed. We've been blessed with the people that God has given us, the heartbeats that we have. We've been blessed with the way that the Lord has moved this young community. Uh, we're just a small church plant, and we have a huge heart for the world, for people, uh, to see people come to know Christ. And God has has blessed us, and we have an opportunity, as we've been ta- kind of talking about this morning, to move space, to step out of a rented space and into a space where we can really begin to put a footprint into this community. And over the past five weeks, we've been talking and I've been preaching through our mission as a church, because at this point in time, it's really important that we celebrate and know our mission together. And I- I've said this over and over again, we are a very unique group of people. We are made up of very different folks. We come from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different places. And it's one of the beautiful mosaics of the church. And we have different views on all kinds of things, from politics to music to anything. We just think differently, and that is wonderful. But the one thing we want to be united on is our mission. It should be what drives us. It should be what we celebrate. It should be what we know. And so I've been preaching through really who we are as a church, our mission as we articulate it kind of together for the first time. Because we've talked about before our values, being missionally minded and community focused and worship driven. We've talked about those things. But past five weeks have been exploring our mission. Our mission is really simple. It's, it's to love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one and to the city and to the world. And we've really explored the first pieces of that. We talked about what it means to love much, the sort of extravagance that comes from knowing Christ and how we love the world and what it means to love each other much, love the world much. We talked about what it means to love well, the difference between the sort of intentionality of loving well and the extravagance of loving much. We explored both of those things. We talked about the gospel. What is it that we're actually taking into the world? And we talked about the gospel being a person, not a message. We don't take some kind of theology or agenda into the world as a church. We take the person of Jesus Christ. We talked about Jesus being hope and freedom. And then last week, we started sort of answering the who question, which is those last three pieces of our mission, the one and the city and the world. And last week, we really began by talking about the one. And really what we unpacked was through looking at, at several parables, but really exploring the parable of the lost sheep is that, that God has this deep, extravagant love for the individual. And we talked about how as a culture, sort of the idea of the one, the individual, is somewhat meaningless or lost. Because we think about things in terms of number of listeners, numbers of viewers, return on investment. You know, we think about things in big, broad categories of advertisers and demographics and all those kind of things. And culturally, you know, we forget that the one really matters. It doesn't play into our sort of global corporate economy, if you will. And we talked about how the economy of heaven, though, the one makes a huge difference. That God is a pursuing God that leaves the 99 and chases the one. And we talked about that what matters to the Lord should matter to us. And then we sort of kind of unpacked that parable and really left it all at this, reminding ourselves that the one isn't someone that's just out there, that you, that, that myself, that we are one. We are the one. We are the one that God loves and the one that God pursues. And we can't go out and love the one like Jesus loves the one until we recognize that Jesus loves me that way. And we talked about really what it meant to take the gospel to the one. That we can't change the world thousands, upon the time, thousands at a time without realizing that each person that sits here and each person that walks that street and each person that you work with has a heartbeat and they have a name and that Jesus is desperately in love with them and that we are called to love the one. So we left that there last week. And, and now we're going to move into that second piece, which is what does it mean to take the gospel, love much and love well, we take the gospel to the city, all right? 
And you know, this is an interesting one because at first glance, I mean, I can understand the one, right? I mean, you look at our mission, you say, yeah, I can understand the one. Jesus loves the one, loves the little children, loves the individual, all those kind of things. And I can understand the world, as we're going to talk about next week, the great commission and mission and global and all those kind of things. But really, what does the city have to do with how we take the gospel? Why is the city important and why is it a central piece of our mission? And, and, uh, and that's what we're going to kind of explore today is why the city is important, I believe, important to God and therefore important to us. So before we dive, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, but before we get there this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a sort of an understanding about why the city, the idea of the city falls into our mission is important to us. Because as a church, we have made a very intentional decision to remain what we believe to be in the core of Oklahoma City. Now, We've had a lot of opportunities as we kind of thought about leaving this gathered space to move. We had a lot of opportunities to uh, look at different buildings and different space and different things and, and all over this city. We had opportunities to move outside the sort of core city and where land is a little bit cheaper or space is a little bit easier to rent. We had all those kind of opportunities and we looked at all of them. But we deeply believe and are deeply committed to the fact that we believe that God has us in the core of the city. That we believe that from an evangelistic standpoint and a missional standpoint that God desires us to be right where we are in the sort of heart and the core of Oklahoma City. And, and really here's why. There's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that really across the globe we're seeing a resurgence in city living. or really just a, an absolute move towards cities all over the world. In about 300 years ago, less than 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Almost everyone lived in rural areas, right? Well, today, it's, it's estimated that 50% of the world's population lives in cities. And it's even guesstimated that about 8 million new people, all right, which is about the population of greater Chicago or Bangkok or, or you know, a large city like that, moves to cities every two months. So what we're seeing globally is that as, as sort of rural life ceases to exist like we once knew, people are flooding and flocking to cities. It's where people are, all right? Now, Oklahoma City certainly is not Chicago or Bangkok or, or any of those kind of places, but we're still seeing those trends. We're still seeing people move inward to the city to find work and to find those kind of things. Tim Keller, who's Pastor of Redeemer Prez up in um, uh, New York City, said this. He said, you know, that people are moving to the church, are moving to the city faster than the church is moving to the city. And if we, the church, love people, then we'd want to go where people are. And his point is simply this, is that as people gather and they become flocked to places, the church should be thriving to want to be where people are, which is really, at the end of the day, what our heartbeat is. We want to be around people every day. And in the city, that's where people are. You can't drive up and down these streets without seeing them, without being next to them, without walking around them. We don't have a desire, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we don't have a desire to get a little piece of land over there off of uh, Lincoln or way off in the corner or over there and, and hunker down. And, and we want to be where people are walking past us, driving past us, that we see them. We walk the neighborhoods. They're one door over. We want to be where people are. So people are moving into the cities all over the world, and we think Oklahoma is, is city is really no different, and we want to be in the middle of, of all of that. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is, is really diversity. And no, it's not an old wooden ship for you Anchorman references, right? Diversity. We love the picture of this neighborhood. Now, if you think about it for a minute, it's really one of the most amazing neighborhoods in the city. Because on one side of Western, we've got some of the wealthy of the wealthy. And on the other side of the Western, we have some of the poor of the poor. And just north of us, we've got some major, massive, large corporations. And south of us, we have small businesses. We sit on a sort of demographic that is a trendy district and arts and small stores. And, and all these kind of things just sort of get smushed together right here where we are. 
We love that. We have a diversity of cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds, races. We've got people from multiple ethnicities that live right here in our 10-block radius. I mean, there's a massive, a very large Iraqi refugee population that is three blocks from our new space. We have a huge heartbeat for diversity. We do not care to go and be gathered with people that look just like me. I have no desire for that. I have a desire to reach all people with the gospel. And I, des- I think the church, the beautiful mosaic of the church, is people made up of all different backgrounds and all different walks of life. We, the di- city provides diversity. It provides the opportunity for us to do life together. And I mentioned this last week, when, because in the book Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne, one of the things he says is the church ceases to be the church. It will never be the church until the rich eat with the poor. Meaning simply this, that it's not about how we serve people, but it's about how we mix our lives together. This is how Jesus lived. He sat with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Pharisees, and he ate with all of them, and he shared his life with all of them. So we see that diversity as being a huge part of our heartbeat. So we see people moving to the cities. We want to be around people. We want to be about diversity, and we're really about need. When you work and live as a church in the city, you can't hide from need, right? Poverty, homelessness, struggle, drug addiction, all those things are at your doorstep all the time. Three days ago, I went to unlock our building so we can get the flooring guys in there. There was a guy asleep on the doorstep, right? So I had to step over him to unlock the doors, and I thought to myself, I can't pretend that need doesn't exist here. We've got a homeless guy sleeping on our doorstep because it was the only place that he could go, and we can't pretend when we do church in the city to ignore the plight of people. And we want to be around need. We want to be about fighting for the oppressed, as we're going to talk about, and seeking justice. We want to be active in how we live. So all of that, and there's several others, but really all of that is what's driving us to really want to be about life in the city. That that people are here. We want to be about diversity and about need, and we want to really live that way as a church. Okay, so all that to get us to the point where we are today. And I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Because I believe that God has a heartbeat for the city. I believe that God is calling us to have a heartbeat for the city where he has placed us. And we're going to explore what that means today. And then we're going to actually go and begin to try and live it. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Jeremiah. It's in the Old Testament, chapter 29. I don't know what page it is on yours, but... Chapter 29. 529? 549. So if you're flipping around there, 549 in our little pew Bibles or chair Bibles or banquet chair Bibles or whatever we call this thing, 549. I'm a huge, well, let's pray and then I'll tell you what I'm huge. (laughs) I'll tell you that I'm huge. I'm huge. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much just for the truth of your word that as we get ready to open it this morning, we know that it is an encounter with you. An encounter with your word is an encounter with you. Your word is living and active. It is sharp with an any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. God, your word is true. It is right. And it is yours. So this morning, we ask you to speak to us through it. Take a moment and just pray in your own heart. Ask God to move in you to speak a little piece of new truth to you this morning, maybe in a new way. Just whisper that to the Lord. Pray for someone beside you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray that God would move in their life, that he would do something in their heart this morning, that he would just reveal himself to them. Be in the habit of praying for other people.
Lord, we love you. We turn this morning over to you. We ask you to teach us through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do this kind of quickly so that we can get through this and, and move on with some, some other exciting things we have going on today. And, and I did a little bit more setup than I kind of wanted to, but I think those things are important for, uh, for you to know. I'm a huge believer of reading scripture in context. I don't believe we can just pick up the Bible, proof text what we like, and apply it to our lives. I think we have to understand what's going on. And in order for us to really understand what's happening in Jeremiah 29, I need to give you a little bit of background because it is important, okay? Because this is a very significant time in the life of Israel. And, and really, Israel as a nation, up until about the mid-900 B.C.s, was, was one nation, all right? And what basically has happened is God has delivered Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. He's given them the promised land and a whole bunch of wandering around and those kind of things. And, and God establishes them as a nation. And they are living as a nation, and God has given them a system of government called judges. And the judges are kind of ruling over Israel, but God is their king. And the people begin to look around them as they're living in this promised land, and they see all these nations around them. They all have kings and empires and all these kind of things, and the Israelites want to be like other nations. And so they go to God, and they say, God, we want to be like other nations. We don't want judges. We want a king. All the other nations have a king, and they're doing great. We want to be like them. And God says, I don't want you to have a king because I'm your king. And they said, no, we don't want that. We want a king. So God, as he often does with the Israelites, he gives them what their hearts desire. And about 1050 B.C., the last of the judges passed away, and God gave Israel the first king, which was King Saul. And a series of kings kind of followed in that line, you know, and it went all the way through David and Solomon and Josiah and Jeroboam and all those kind of kings that you may have heard about. And and they ruled for about 100 or so years, and things were going relatively well until Solomon died. And then the nation began to have a bit of an uprising. They began to have a bit of an argument amongst themselves, and the kingdom actually split into two. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, and there was a southern kingdom called Judah. And they were both Israelite nations, but they were governed totally separate with total different kings. And they were kind of pursuing their own direction. And the empires around them were growing. And the, a group of Assyrians, called, a, group of, a nation called the Assyrians were gaining a lot of power. And in 722, the Assyrians pressed into the northern kingdom, came down, pressed into the northern kingdom, and overtook the northern kingdom, overthrew it, and hauled them all off into exile. And then about 586, the Babylonians had taken over the Assyrians and they pressed their way down into um, the southern kingdom and they overtook the southern kingdom and hauled them off into exile about 586. So what we're picking up right now is that in the southern kingdom has just been hauled off into exile. The nation of Israel no longer existed as it has been. Everybody has been taken off by ex- in exile. And Jeremiah writes to a group of refugees that are in exile in Babylon, in Babylon that have been hauled off by King Nebuchadnezzar and are basically doing his bidding. All right, So that's kind of where we are in history. And Jeremiah writes this letter to those in exile. Now all that's just a lot of history to get to a place where you've got to understand. These people have just been conquered, hauled off to land they don't know, languages they don't speak, people groups they've never been around, and they are, are receiving this letter from Jeremiah as they're way off in the distance, away from Jerusalem. Their homes have been burned, their city has been sacked, the temple was destroyed, the walls were knocked down, everything they knew was gone. And they're living in exile in Babylon. And this is what Jeremiah says to them in chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is a really important letter that these exiles are getting from Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah had the role of pronouncing the destruction of Israel. That was what he was telling the southern kingdom, and they wouldn't listen. And sure enough, they were destroyed and hauled off. And now he's writing a letter to them. And some of you may know that very famous verse that comes out of Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans not to harm you, but for to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. You know, it's written on like every little, you know, Hallmark card that's got religious at the top that you've ever seen. Well, the reality is that that verse comes out out of here. It's not written for all of us to say, oh, things are hard. God remembers me. No, it's written to a group of people that have had their lives destroyed, and God is reminding them that he hasn't forgotten them. And they were angry, and they were hurt. And that verse comes about five verses behind this. But this letter to them, to this group is really important, because these people are, have had their whole lives wrecked. A lot of them have, have watched their children be murdered, their wives be murdered. And a lot of the people that were taken to exile were the people that were important, political leaders, artists, scientists. Because when you conquered a, a people group, you took out all the people that were worth anything and you hauled them off. You, you kind of deassembled them so they couldn't gain power and get back together. And that's what's happened. And these people's lives are wrecked and ruined and they feel like the Lord has abandoned them and run from them. So Jeremiah writes in this letter and he gives them some instructions about how to live where they are uh, in the middle of a nation that's not theirs. And he says this, and I think this is important for us as a church. I'm going to kind of approach this as our role as a Vine Community Church, but I want you to think about it in terms of your own life wherever you live. Moore, Yukon, Edmond, right across the street. Think about how you live and what God is calling you to, because there's some really powerful things that we see here. The first thing that God calls the uh, exiles to is to, to basically settle their life in or submerge their life into the culture. He says, listen, you've been carried off by God. All right. What I want you to do is settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have your sons and daughters get married, have parties, celebrate, increase in number there. So he's saying, look, you are in a foreign country. You've been placed with a people group that doesn't speak your language. You don't know anything about them. You've been hauled off there. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to settle your life down. He wants you to build a house. He wants you to plant a garden, grow food. He wants you to celebrate, have weddings, let your sons and daughters marry, not intermarry like with the Babylonians as we know God kind of forbids, but to marry each other, to increase, to not die off as a people. God basically says what I want you to do is plant your life into the culture where you found yourself. And as a church, for us, this really is one of the reasons why we're moving out of this rented space on Sunday morning is because we really believe that if we're going to plant our life into the culture that we're around, the culture that we're around, this neighborhood, these streets, this community that we want to sink our life into, we want to become visible, we want to walk the neighborhoods, we want to invite people to church, we want to throw parties, we want to have artists use our space to show, we want to have concerts, we want to invite people to come up and celebrate, we want to throw barbecues for the whole neighborhood, we want to do all these things. We want to be visible. We want to plant food. We want to give it away. We want to say, listen, we want you to know our heart, and we want you to know our home, and we are about celebrating in this community. We want to know you and what you're all about. I call it the, the sort of borrowing a cup of sugar principle. You know, most of us grew up in an, in an era where that was what we did all the time. I remember my mom used to send me, I never knew why I never had sugar in our own house, but my mom used to send me all the time, the neighbors, to borrow a cup of sugar. When's the last time you really went to your neighbor's house to borrow a cup of sugar instead of just driving to the store? We don't do that anymore. I mean, 
We used to make, at Christmas time, my mom used to make cookies and put them in the mailbox from the mailman. And we used to know our guy delivered the newspaper. Remember that, the, that era where you go over and borrow two eggs instead of being like, ah, I can't cook tonight, I don't have any eggs. That principle is really what God is saying. Meet your neighbors, love them, invite them into your life, celebrate with them, plant your life here, grow food. Right? Don't isolate, but integrate. And this was crazy because this was important for the, the basically the children of Israel to hear is that God is saying, look, don't fold your arms and pout, right? But instead, kind of put in roots. So we have that huge heartbeat to settle our life in, which is really why we love this neighborhood. We want to put our roots in. We want to be visible. The second thing we really see, it comes out of verse 6, where God looks through this letter, through the, through the words of Jeremiah, and he says this. He says, or verse 7, also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seeking peace and prosperity is not about being passive. It's not about not causing any ruckuses or not starting bar fights. Seeking peace and prosperity is something you work for. You work for peace. You work for it. It's not about not talking out loud. It's about saying, I want to see those that are oppressed find justice. I want to fight for the poor and the widow. I want to fight for those that can't fight themselves. We want peace in our neighborhood, in our community, in our city. What we talked about two weeks ago was that Jesus being peace and freedom. We want our culture, our city, our streets, our communities to know Jesus Christ. We want them to meet him and have their lives radically changed. We know that peace is a person. Peace is not simply not having uh, conflict. Peace begins with an understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do in my life. We want to be a church that seeks peace and prosperity. We want to be active in our community. We want to be visible. We want to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. We want to help those that can't help themselves. We want to seek the good, the good, the Lord's good for our city. We want to see people come to know Christ. This is what what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, look, fight for your city. Because even though you're carried off into exile and these people don't speak your language, we want you to seek peace for this city. And not be like, I don't like this place, it's not ours. We want you to make it your home and fight for it. This isn't always easy and it's not always safe. When you begin to really live inside the context of the city as a church, it's not safe and it's not easy. We do Bible study down in Good Home Park. I can't guarantee you that's safe all the time. We've had knives pulled. We've had people arrested. That is life. You have people that wake up on your doorstep sometimes. This is part of our life. We want to seek peace and prosperity. The last thing, and I'll do this quickly, we see is this. Jeremiah says, and pray for the city which I have carried you into. So he says, also seek the peace and prosperity for the city in which I've carried you into exile. Pray for it, to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When's the last time you really prayed for your city? I mean, really prayed for your city. Not for your church or for your life or for your business, but for your city. When's the last time you prayed for Oklahoma City? Deeply prayed that God would be made known here, that God would be celebrated, that God would be changing lives. That we prayed for those that are in struggle, that we prayed for those that are hurting, that we prayed that God would redeem this place. All through the Old Testament, we see God's people praying for the city. We even see Jesus sitting over Jerusalem, weeping over it, praying for it, that they would know who God is. And this is really important because if a city, if a community, if a street begins to get changed for the gospel, begins one for Jesus Christ, it has an incredible impact on the people around it. Matthew, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of teaching. It's the Matthew chapter 5 where we see it recorded where he says, listen, you are the light of the world. And he's talking about individual followers of Christ. He says, if you're going to follow me, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Basically, he's saying that when we follow Christ, 
we shine in this darkness. And if you've ever driven out in the country at night, you know what that is referring to. When you begin to come up on a city, you can see its lights for miles. And being from West Texas, this is a principle that we see all the time. We know how far we are from someplace because you can see the lights for miles and miles. Because if you put a city up on that hill, you can see it forever. And in those days in the Middle East where there were no street lights, you could see a city from miles and miles away. If we begin to pray for this city, if we begin to take the gospel into this city, if we begin to see people as individuals who Jesus wants to redeem, we begin to impact our streets and our community and our city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The impact that has on our state, our nation, our world is unbelievable. And we can play a role of that right here on 49th Street and on Western by loving people well here and loving them much. What would it look like if we lived that way as a church? And maybe even more so, what would it look like if we lived that way as individuals? What if you saw that as your passion in your neighborhood, on your street? To borrow a cup of sugar, to meet someone, to invite them into your life. To get a little messy when it comes to loving people. To share the gospel with them. To see if we can't win our streets and our communities for Christ. This is why it's part of our mission as a church to love the city. Because I believe that as we look in Jeremiah, God loves the city. And God calls us to wherever he carries us to, to plant our lives and to impact it. What's really important, last thing, I'll wrap it all up with this, is we don't miss this. What Jeremiah says to the exiles is this, right? He says, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I, God, have carried you into exile. You know what's important to know is that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians didn't take the uh, Israelites into exile. God did. What it means is that God is in absolute total control. God is the one that sins. God is the one that carries. None of this was a surprise to him. God placed the Israelites there so that they could be an impact people. Even though they were not following him well, they would be an impact people for the Lord. We truly believe that God has carried us into this neighborhood. We've tried to get out. God doesn't really let it happen. God has carried us into this neighborhood to be an impact people for the gospel. Our mission to love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one and to the city as we'll next week we'll look at to the world becomes our driving force together because it's the heartbeat of God. I invite the worship team to come back up as we close in prayer.